There were raves for the hit revival of David Harris' Skylight in London last summer. The Mail on Sunday called it a scorching production, a brilliant play with about changing and clashing values and the true cost of love. And now the good news is that it has come to Broadway with its cast intact. Carrie Mulligan stars as the school teacher Kira Hollis, who receives an unexpected visit from Tom Sargent, a successful restaurateur who she hasn't seen for three years. Bill Nye plays the pent-up Tom. And I'm thrilled to have all three of these talented people with me here today, David Hare, Carrie Mulligan, and Bill Nye. Good morning. Hey, how are you? David, this is a a play of yours that hasn't been seen for close to 20 years. What made you want to revive it now? Well, I've always said that uh, the original casts were Michael Gambon and Leah Williams. And then in... uh, production that followed very quickly in the West End. Bill Nye played with Stella Gonet. And for years, people have tried to revive this play, and I've, only, I've always said, sorry, you can't do it until we get a cast as good as the original, because the memory of those first productions is so strong. And then didn't you ask Bill Nye to do it again? Mm, not quite, Bill, would you say? Um, I don't, uh, this time around, I don't know what the, quite remember the process. No, well, I've uh, read that you said no. Oh, in the originally, yes, yes. No, originally, I saw Michael Gambon in, and Leah Williams in Skylight with Daniel Betts, and it overwhelmed me. I was completely bowled over by it. It was one of, if not the greatest time I ever had in a theatre. And I wrote to everybody, and I was, I rang David, the author, and congratulated on him on his play Skylark. <laughs> and uh, which was which got, got me off to a great start. Uh-huh. He said, "Don't worry, everybody does that." Even now in New York, when people say you're in a play, what's it called? I point at the ceiling when I say the word, so I say skylight, pointing at the ceiling. Well, there so are skylarks up there too to protect them from making the same mistake. But uh, and then because I was so uh, impressed by it, when I was then offered the revival, I did invent it as I had a habit of doing so in those days as something out of my range, thinking that I couldn't possibly um, follow Sir Michael. Is that and David then uh, called me personally, at which point I said, yes, 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 okay, okay, okay. Because a typical question to ask actors are, uh, is, you know, you've seen the original production with some, with this great actor and uh, that character, he made that character his own, and then you had to follow it. And actors will always say the same thing. Well, I found my own way of dealing with that character. But you were intimidated by Michael Gambon. I was. I mean, he's a pretty great actor. He's a he's a wonderful actor who is you know is a is a genius in my view, um, and therefore it was daunting. And I did spend the first couple of days of rehearsal very um, lonely and uh, and <laughs> frightened because I couldn't forgive myself for not being Michael Gambon. What's the skylight? Then I realized I didn't have to be Michael Gambon. What's the skylight or skylark or whatever it's called? Said in the wake of <laughs> Thatcher's reign. <laughs> Did that have any impact on your writing of it originally, David? Uh, yeah, it did in the sense that I had uh, sort of educators, nurses, um, police, priests had become my heroes and heroines in a whole series of plays. You know, I felt that the government was ideological. It had certain theories about what was happening in society. And there were these people whose job I felt was to bandage the wounds And I'd written about a lot of them. And they had become my heroes. And so Kira, who has left private enterprise in order to go and work in the toughest school in the East End, which a certain number of people were doing in the 1990s, um, was someone that I 
admired and wanted to defend in the course of the play. Although this is at its heart a romantic play, it's also a lot about money. And one of the newer feeling themes involves Tom's uh, sense of being persecuted because he's rich. Were people saying that in the 90s as yeah, well? It's quite extraordinary. There's a speech that Carrie Mulligan has in the second act where she says that the rich no longer do something called making money. They do something much nicer called the creation of wealth and that we're all meant to be very, very nice to them because they're doing something on behalf of society by putting money in their pockets and how ridiculous it is. Now, everyone asks me, oh, you must have written this speech in the last few years. Not at all. I wrote that speech in 1994. Well, when you had to, uh, when you first looked at that speech, Carrie, did you think, oh, gee, I could have said this today? Yeah, I mean, you know, yeah. I, I was 14 when David wrote the play. So, <laughs> I mean, I wasn't thinking massively about it then, I don't suppose, and if I even read the play. But, um, yeah, I think, it, you know, it's funny that particularly in New York, that play seems to resonate in a way that in London, it definitely did, but out here even more so, I think. You can tell that from the way the audience responds? Well, the audience here are more vocal in general, but particularly to that speech, there seems to be... Well, actually, the night, the night I saw the play, the audience burst into applause as though you were a politician <laughs> who had made some speech. Yes, yeah, it's, it's fun. Uh, see, eventually, uh, what did you do... This is the third time that you're, you're playing this role now, Bill, because you did it uh, that first time, and then in London and here... Um, now, is it different coming here? And I asked the both of you this. Is it different coming here than uh, after you've done it on the West End? Bec is the theater, uh, the Golden, similar to the theater you worked in in London? Yeah, it's not dissimilar. Uh, it's a beautiful theater, and it's a nice size, and uh, it feels very good in there, as it did at, at the Wyndham's in London. Um, as Kerry says, the audiences, I, I think, they they kind of shade it they, uh, in terms of how vocal they are. And, they've, and uh, they occasionally, which is uh, unusual, which is unexpected for an English artist, they, they occasionally clap before you've done anything. <laughs> yes. Which, uh, when you come on the stage, when you come on the, the stage. audience applauds. I remember the first time, the only other time I've worked on Broadway, and David's play The Vertical Hour, uh, some years ago, and the first time I came on in a preview, they clapped, and I think I even looked behind me to see if something <laughs> had happened, because I thought, I haven't, do I haven't done anything yet. <laughs> Carrie, how long a break did you have between the British and American productions? Six months. Um, so in those six months, did you think about this character at all? Not massively. <laughs> no, I mean, I just sort of took six. Uh, before we did Skylight in London, I'd worked quite um, intensely for about a year, and then I went straight into this without a break. So I did the, the run in London quite exhausted. So I was looking forward to doing the run in New York feeling not tired, which is... Have your, have your thoughts about Kira changed over time? I mean, I think... Sometimes when, when you, you take a break, yeah. you come back to a character, you say, oh, gee, I never realized this. Yeah, I mean, her. I think that's the thing about theatre, when you're lucky enough to... to do a transfer like this is that you've had that much more time and life to think about things and you know if you could do that in film uh, the, the curse of film is that every time you watch something you think oh that was a year ago and now with a year's more life behind me I wouldn't do it anything like that I'd do it much better so hopefully when you get to do a play again you, you find more in, in the character and, and can yeah explore more things although actors complain about having to do many takes but that's all at the same time. You would prefer to do those takes over the course 
of a couple of months. Yeah, I'd like to be in boyhood and get to do a performance over about <laughs> 15 years. That would be ideal. That was, yeah, 12 years. Yeah. Uh, David, you said that you love rehearsals. How much was necessary when the play moved from the West End to the Golden Theatre? Well, it was a sort of thoughtful period. It's a, it's a luxury, as Kerry says. You know, you've been doing it. And these two, you know, these two do... And, indeed, Matthew Beard, we should add, who, who yeah. plays the yes. son at the beginning and end of the play, magnificently. He, he bookends. Yeah, he bookends the, the play. That's exactly it. Um, but the three of them, as far as I was concerned, at the Windmills were playing this play as well as it can be played. It was just absolutely tip-top. And, but it is nice to step back and just have 10 days to think again and see and then to guide it through the previews. Stephen Daldry's been here. He's been working on it and just fine-tuning it. And that is a great luxury of, of transfer. It's just richer and deeper than it's ever been, I think. There was a time when union rules wouldn't have allowed you to bring the complete British cast. Yeah, things have eased up a lot, mainly, I think, because... There are so many American musicals playing in London and there's much easier exchange. And I don't hear that stuff. There aren't those dreaded meetings that there used to be at 9 o'clock in the morning with donuts and a, a terrifying man from equity. Who donuts? Was, that sounds yeah. great. <laughs> Why are we having those? There, there used to be a whole lot of manoeuvre about, oh, you, you can't do this or I'll, I'll swap you. You know, I'll swap you a Sondheim for a straight play <laughs> and all that. I don't know if that still goes on. Do you like uh, Kira? Do I like do you, her? Do you connect to her Yeah, as a person? Yeah, I do. She reminds me a lot of one of my very close friends. So um, I like people who are passionate about things. I like people who have very strong beliefs. I think I'm drawn to people who are sort of, um, yeah, sort of people like her who are very active and very passionate and get things done and, you know, move things. Well, these are both people with strong beliefs. Mm -hmm. That's part of what makes the play so effective. Uh, even though we may root for one more than the other, they both have their... Uh, they make some good points at different times. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I think the audience, they, they kind of swing between the two characters as the evening goes on. It's, it's a deeply sophisticated play, and therefore everyone... They both talk rashly on occasion, and they also talk... They both talk, um, you know, with some uh, wisdom and experience. There's a crucial scene when Tom suddenly shows up where, uh, Carrie, you're making spaghetti bolognese on stage mm -hmm. and the smells drift into the audience. It smells really good. <laughs> Does it drive you crazy with, with hunger? I have been getting a bit hungry, yeah. I, not, it hasn't in the past because I think that's another, another added advantage of doing it again is that I'm really good at the cooking now. <laughs> you know, I've done – how many shows have we done? Yeah, Gazillions. And yeah. you, but you also have to be I delivering your lines while you're paying attention to yeah, make sure the food doesn't burn. It's great fun. I mean, that's, that was sort of the first three weeks of the rehearsal in London the first time around, which is learning how to cook, really. I didn't really think about anything else. I think the only bad review we received in London – uh, was from the food critic of the Evening Standard who described <laughs> Carrie's spaghetti bolognese as approximate, <laughs> which was a, a word which we found deeply offensive yeah. um, since we'd actually had an Italian yeah. uh, uh, you know, cookery expert to teach us how to make spaghetti bolognese in the Italian way. And I was yeah. following the recipe to the letter. Well, Bill, you, you get uh, a big laugh when you start to question Carrie about how she's making the bolognese. You, s you say, well, are you... And uh, Are you going to put the chili yeah. in first? Yes, yeah. which is a good question to ask in somebody who uh, 
is a restaurateur would obviously think along those lines. But sure. I have heard that you don't even have an oven in your London home. Well, you've been asking around, haven't you? <laughs> it's, it's true. I, um, You're just playing a character who knows something about food here. Yeah, you know, I had to do some research in that area. But no, personally, no, I don't own an oven. I'm... Uh, <laughs> I, uh, I I have uh, I don't I, they, when I when I was moving into my flat I live alone and the, the, and I thought and I was a, a, I was old enough to uh, to uh, you know make make decisions and I and not to pretend that I was ever going to cook There's, it's never going to happen and I'm surrounded <laughs> so it's all takeout it's decadence it's all and no no takeout I don't like takeout because that involves mess uh-huh. so I like to go I walk out I walk out with a book under my arm and I walk to a series of restaurants. <laughs> How long did you have to rehearse this before you got that cooking down? Oh, I mean, I came into because I came straight off a job. I came in w- knowing none of the lines and um, and having just had a cooking lesson. So it it really did take about three weeks for me to get the cooking down, and about a month before I knew all the lines. There's a kind of a choreography required as yeah. well in and that tiny all, kitchen space. Yeah, that's very much Stephen's choreography of how to because it's all to do with the sound and to do with you know not bashing pasta over um, Bill's My dialogue, <laughs> you know, clanking things around. So it was all carefully choreographed by Stephen. There's something in a naturalistic play, and I'd never written a naturalistic play before, but there's something in a naturalistic play which attracts obsession in the audience, and they become absolutely obsessed with the spaghetti. The Observer was so obsessed with the play that they actually put someone on a bus from Kensal Rise to East Ham because in the play her character works mm-hmm. on one side of London and lives in the other. And the Observer devoted a whole page to whether this journey was possible, I didn't know whether that. you could actually do yeah, whether you could actually do it in the time she says you do it, <laughs> who you would meet on the bus if you did it. And the there is, it's very odd when you're a writer when people seem to think you've written something that is completely 100% real yeah. and it was it's been road tested like that by journalists it's very strange and did people you have a reaction to that line about the cat being baked in no. the oven as if it's a real cat that re- i mean they're <laughs> horrified that there, there might be this cat that was baked in an oven it, it, it has happened to friends of mine that um it, this was in the 1970s when thieves visited your home in south london the last thing they did as they left was put your cat in the oven and turn the oven on. They did do it. Oh, that's and a kind so, of a power play? Yeah. And you would come home and there would be this appalling stench. And you knew. And that was them leaving their mark to say, we can do anything in your house that we want to, just to scare the life out of you. Did you know, no know that you, from the start that you were going to have real cooking done in this? Yeah, it seemed important. I'd resisted writing plays in rooms all my life. I've always written epic plays. And this was the first play in a room. So I thought, if I'm going to write a naturalistic play, I'm going to go for it. It's a wonderful way to show how easy the two are together. And when Tom cuts his finger while he's grating the cheese, it suddenly makes him quite vulnerable. Well, that's good. That's exactly how. (laughs) Well, it was a way of, it's sort of, I think, what the director calls, what does he call it? Reverse psychology. Uh, At certain points when things are, you know, it's, it's to intersperse, uh, quite uh, intense exchanges with something relatively mundane, but which se- in some ways seems to underwrite them in a, in a satisfying way. And also sometimes he will direct us to perhaps have uh, attitudes at a particular moment which seem counter to that which is going on. He's a very brilliant man. Stephen Daldry, we should say. Yeah, yeah Stephen Daldry, the Who's director. has been a guest on this show. Yeah. Oh, good. 
my guests are Bill Nye, Carrie Mulligan, and David Hare. Uh, we are talking about uh, the first American production of Skylight uh, in a 13-week limited engagement. Second, the first one came uh, – it came uh, first But it wasn't time. on Broadway. Yes, first, yes. Michael Gambon came to Broadway with Leah Williams oh. and played – And I missed it. What used to be called the Royale Theatre. And what is it now? Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> anyway, this will be running uh, uh, through Sunday, June 21st at the John Golden Theater at 252 West 45th Street. For ticket information, you can go to our show page at WNYC.org. We will continue our conversation after we take a little break. Stay with us. And we are back with Carrie Mulligan, Bill Nye, and David Hare, who Dave was uh, knighted in 19... 19- Ninety-eight, uh, yeah, a long time ago. But you're not calling yourself Sir Dave. Or Never anything? do, no. But you have written thirty dramas so far, and uh, and uh, how many television? Oh scripts goodness, as well? I can't count. I think that somebody counted that I'd written twenty-three films, either for television or for uh, the cinema. Since they all involve dialogue. How different is the process? Oh, totally. 100% different. And indeed, it took me years to understand anything about film at all. Uh, I sort of groped around in the dark for many years, uh, thinking that because I had some skill in the theatre that it was transferable. And it wasn't until I learned that it was completely different that I began to be able to write films that I like. But did, did one inform the uh, come to inform the other? No. I think of them as completely separate skills. And... Uh, I was lucky enough to work with Louis Mal, and Louis Mal really taught me how to write film uh, by the most excruciating possible method, which was to sit me down every morning at 9 o'clock to tell the story of the film. And he constantly questioned me. And after 10 days, I could tell him the story of the film in a way which he no longer questioned. Although Louis Mal was brilliant at taking uh, theatrical productions like Uncle Vanya and making them into films. Yeah. I mean, he was the only one who could ever do that. So is this is one a break from the other? Uh, yeah, a kind of a palate cleanser. It's exactly that, and uh, because I have the skill, I exercise the skill in film. But I can't help thinking of the plays as what I did first. Stephen Daldry is also directing another play on Broadway, the the audience with Helen Mirren. Did he have to run back and forth during rehearsals? That's uh, why our theatres are so close to each other yes, on Broadway. <laughs> We're literally next door. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, there was a, there was a, an element of uh, coming and going, toing and froing. I don't know how he does it. Did he expect you to suddenly sound like Queen Elizabeth? <laughs> um, uh, no, no. no. Um, he's, it's amazing how he manages to keep things completely separate. You don't. F- I mean, you know, we had a bit of a schedule shuffle, but you never feel like he's dividing his attention. So it's pretty remarkable in that respect. Critics often talk about the chemistry between actors, and uh, there's quite a uh, there's a tremendous rapport between the two of you, despite the the big gulf. Um, there are many reasons for the gulf, among them that you haven't seen each other for three years, and I don't want to spoil uh, the people, the listeners' uh, experience in telling them uh, why that happened. Uh, I don't know if you mind talking about those things. Uh, but I wonder if the gulf was always there uh, just because of their personalities and whether it just had grown bigger over time as they were apart. I think what's remarkable about the, uh, about them is the fact that they, they do 
quite simply love one another, and their love is quite a rare form because it survived that gulf. Uh, it survived all kinds of uh, things that might destroy, that would traditionally destroy uh, any kind of love affair. And it's, it survives their honesty with one another, which is quite remarkable. And it's, uh, it certainly survived their world view, the the, you know, their differing world view. Um, and you, one senses, even at the end of the play, that it survived, whatever the weather and whatever may be in the future. You, I don't feel that it's been destroyed by the events that you see when you watch the play. Mm. They love each other despite everything. Yep. Now, uh, I, I asked earlier about whether the performances had changed at all in the transfer from the West End to Broadway. What about uh, the intervening years? How is Bill's acting and interpretation of this part different <laughs> almost 20 years later? Well, Shall I leave? I'll leave the room for a while. I mean, the great it's improved, thing. hasn't it? Uh, I hope so. No, I mean, what must <laughs> But it'll the, never be Michael Gambon. No, the, exactly, exactly. The great thing is that you, 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 you just start again with things like this. You know, I'm lucky enough to be old enough that the whole series of my plays are now being revived. The Judas Kiss has just been mm -hmm. revived in the West End with Rupert Everett. It obliterates the memory, and that is not disrespectful to the people who originally played it, not in the slightest. But inevitably, when you see a play brought to life in a great production, it doesn't bother you any more than it bothers you going to Hamlet. And the boring people who come out of Hamlet saying, well, it's not as good as Laurence Olivier, they're boring people, and they're boring audiences to play to. And that, to me, these, this cast make the play live, and you really believe in the depth of their relationship, the layers of their relationship. And so I don't think about other productions at all. I'm glad you brought up Hamlet, because uh, I've thought a lot about that, how uh, Shakespeare... I've had seen so many great Lears, so many great Hamlets, yeah. and uh, they what made them wonderful was the performance, the the fact that that actor made that Lear into something different than that other actor who did a, a magnificent Lear did. Precisely. I mean, the thing is that the theatre, as a, as an art form, always attracts what I call matchbox collectors. They're the people who just go and say. Well, he's better than Derek Jacobi, but on the other hand, he's not as good as Mark Rylance. And they're the, they are the core audience, those people who go to compare and who talk about theatre all the time. But Skylight's a play that plays to people who are not regular theatre-goers. It plays to people who come into the theatre and are interested in the things the play is about. And, and they're the people we, we love playing to. Yeah. Bill, you play the part with a lot of physicality. Uh, why does... Tom have so much nervous energy. Um, is, is that in is that in the script, or is that something that you brought to it? I don't think it's in the script. Apart from the fact that, you know, she does say towards the end of the play, Carrie's uh, character says that I think you've patrolled this room a hundred times or something, and uh, and she does when when she's you know at the, at the very end of the play she's she's a, you know she comments on his energy. The energy is great, but. Um, and restlessness. And the restlessness. But I don't know that that's what that... I, I could pretend that that's me. That's what fuels my physicality, but it's not the case. It just seems to be what happens when I play this part. And I have no excuse, explanation further than, <laughs> beyond that, except that I think it will help you listen to me. 
that's part of it. And I, tr- and I, I think this could be complete tosh. <laughs> I never know when I, because I'm asked this question. Uh, it's not the only time I've been, uh, you know, uh, mentioned in these dispatches. Um, and I. Well, I didn't say disparaging. No, no, I know you didn't, Leonard. I know, I absolutely know. And I'm trying to answer you honestly. Uh, but, so therefore, it may be true because you're all over the stage and you're kicking chairs and you're doing all ah, sorts of other things. Yeah, so yeah, I do think. Yeah, I mean, there's something about the writing which suggests that he, you know, I mean, apart from the fact that you know that he is a, a kind of, you know, that he has a certain degree of excess energy, and he's also on tender hooks because this is a this is a visit that he's taken three years to work up to. Three years it's taken him to to ring the doorbell, which is a long time to wait to ring a doorbell. And his and and one senses that the way that he has succeeded in other areas of life is by is by doing exactly what you see him do during the evening, which is to storm around and you know and to and to uh, you know uh, to project a great deal of energy onto any situation. And Kara's way of dealing with him is to get calmer and calmer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's almost like a, the power crazy. play is I'll drive you crazy by not responding yeah. in the way you expect me to. Yeah, and I think that's just, you know, who she, I mean, that's her way of exerting authority is just keeping it cool. Now, why did you use the Tom's son, uh, Ed, Edward, as a bookend? Um, did you want to show us a younger version of I, Tom? I can't talk about that because if I talk about that, then I talk about what okay. you, what you'd call a spoiler. Okay. And I think that... But you don't call it, it, it a spoiler for, in Britain? Yeah, I mean, you, but you used the word earlier. That's yeah. all. I'm picking up on the on the word that it, it, I, if I start talking about that, I start to I start giving away mm-hmm. the end of the play, right. and I hope lots of your listeners are going to come innocent. I mentioned David's uh, writing for film and television. The two of you have done a fair amount of film and television. Um, Carrie, uh, an education inside Lewin Davis, where I would not have known you were a Brit. Uh, Never Let Me Go, the upcoming Far From Manning crowd. Bill, you have Love Actually, a Harry Potter, Pirates of the Caribbean, a couple of Best Exotic Marigold um, Hotels to your credit. Um, but I get the sense that both of you think of yourself as theater actors. Is that true? Uh, I grew up in the theater, and there is no version of my life where I don't do plays. And I do... I don't... I, 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 you know, I... I uh, I, I enjoy oh, enjoy steady. I um, <laughs> I nearly said something that was PR, a bit, a bit of PR. Oh, we in wouldn't watch it. No, do that. sorry, Leonard. I forgot where I was for a moment. Um, let's stick with the truth. Uh, I, uh, I I think of myself as a film actor as well. But I I I, I did that. You know, I, it was ten years before I ever performed in front of a camera, for instance, mm-hmm. in my youth. Which was not an unusual progress when I was young. But, of course, a lot more people will see you in a film, even a sure. flop film, than they will in a hit play. Sure. Um, but uh, so I, at the moment I have a, a perfect situation where I try and balance the two to some degree. And and Carrie? Yeah, I mean, I I grew up wanting to be a, a musical theatre actress, <laughs> which everyone thinks is hilarious because I can't dance and I can't really sing. But that was my dream, and I, you know, that was what I was pretty sure I was going to do until I got some sort of self-awareness around 15 and realised that wasn't going to happen. But it was theatre that I was drawn to and um, and, and what I imagined I would, you know, that was my sort of idea of being an actress was actually doing a play on Broadway was my kind of fantasy. Um, And so film was not really something I ever really thought about. Television, I guess, I thought 
would be part of the dream in some way. But um, it was all sort of, um, yeah, I never really sort of planned on, on working in films. And I really like working on films. But when I sit in a cinema and watch a film, I don't think, oh, I can't wait to be back on a film set. But when I sit in a theatre, if it's a great play, I think, oh, I wish I was on stage. And I think that's just the difference, is I miss theatre in a way that I don't particularly miss films. Well, in theatre, of course, you are interacting with the other people you're playing with. And in film, often you're shooting a scene in which you're supposedly interacting with somebody, and that person is uh, in his in his room or wherever. <laughs> I haven't had that experience yet. I haven't, but then I haven't Rod done Seiger, it. Rod you know, still angry with was, was, was angry with Marlon Brando to the end of his life because Marlon Brando stepped out of the set during the famous taxicab scene, and he was just after he had given him so much response when, when he delivered his lines. So, uh, I've know, actually I, had the opposite experience. I have to say I've had people, I've been so lucky to work with people who I think give as much when they're off camera as when they're on. We have very little time left, but uh, this is a limited run. You have other things already in the offing? Bill? Yes, I am going to make a film with the director who directed Carrie famously in An Education. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lona Scherfig. Uh, it's called Our Finest Hour and a Half. It's set against a backdrop of the making of prop- okay. propaganda. We have five seconds, Karen. <laughs> what about you? Uh, no holiday for me, Hooray. I think. Skylight is uh, at the John Golden Theater until Sunday, June 21st. Thank you all so much for being on our show yeah, today. Thank you. Thank Pleasure. You.